Welcome to the Who Cares Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Hedinger. Care matters. You feel better when you know somebody cares about you. And people feel better when they know you care about them. But there is so much more. Mastering caring skills equips you to engage with people around some very heavy subjects when they need care and help the most. And as people respond to you, you will be energized to realize that your care is making a difference. But most of all, when people of faith care effectively, the world is able to experience God's love and care. So we're here with stories and with leaders to talk about grief, trauma, addiction, mental illness, poverty, and more so that we can find the answer to the questions, how can we care better? What can we do to provide the best care? In this episode of the podcast, I'm glad to have my good friend, Daryl Cheney back. Daryl was a big league ball player, uh, played in three World Series, four National League Championship Series, on one of the best teams ever in baseball. And Daryl is going to be a regular guest this year on the Who Cares podcast, and we're going to have 12 conversations with Daryl that actually are from our book, Welcome to the Big Leagues, Every Man's Journey to Significance, the Daryl Cheney story. There is a connection to care ministry. The book, Welcome to the Big Leagues, helps everybody know their life matters. And it encourages us to tell somebody else their life matters and to treat everyone like their life matters. And that is the prequel to care ministry, because when we know our life matters, we're confident when we're telling somebody else their life matters, we're caring for them. And when we're treating people like their life matters, we're caring for people. So we are going to make a natural connection between Welcome to the Big Leagues and Care Ministry. In this particular chapter, we talk about the dream in a person's life and that God places a dream in the heart of every person. When we are caring for people, often we are caring for people who are going through a hard time. It could be a devastatingly hard time where all their dreams are shattered. Life can be really hard on dreams. So in this episode, we're going to hear about dreams. And and, and just be conscious of this when you're caring for people so that you can help them keep the dream alive in their own life or, or maybe just walk alongside them so that down the road a ways the, the flame can, can come back uh, to the dream that is also connected with their purpose and their destiny. But maybe it also applies to you. A lot of people in care ministry sort of found care ministry along the way and didn't realize that in some roundabout way, maybe this is what you've always dreamed of. I never even had it on my radar till later in my career. And it was then I discovered I always wanted to make a difference in people's lives. I I always wanted to do something that felt like it mattered. And lo and behold, care ministry actually was a dream come true for me, even though I didn't realize it. So in this episode uh, with Daryl Cheney, I hope you will enjoy the, the conversation about every person has a dream in their heart that God put in there. But before my conversation with Daryl, uh, I want you to know that this podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. For more real-life stories about care and useful resources and important organizations that care for people, go to our website, bestcareministry.com. It's a great opportunity for you to get connected with the care ministry world. And while you're there, 
you can support us financially with a one-time or a recurring gift. Just go to the donate page of the website. Your donation will help this ministry flourish. And I really would uh, appreciate it if you would ask God what he would have you give. Now, let's listen to my conversation with Daryl Cheney about the dreams in a person's heart. Daryl, so good to be talking to you about Welcome to the Big Leagues. It's exciting for me to know a real big league ball player, and you're the guy I know best. Thanks for being here on the podcast with me today. Great to be with you, Dan. Just, just great to have been your friend for all these years, and uh, being the subject of your book and having an opportunity to uh, to have an impact on uh, all those lives that we touch out there, an eternal impact. And uh, I pray that uh, as we go forward with this podcast, uh, it will continue. I, I believe it will. I think we're living in a time in history when our message is needed. People need to hear that their life matters. Every, every person needs to know that they can make a difference in their own place and their own way and, and not give up about it. And so that's what Welcome to the Big Leagues, Every Man's Journey to Significance is all about. And we're going to get started at the first chapter, the first inning, and and it, every life starts with a dream. And one of the things I point out here in the book, and I've certainly found it true in my life, is life is hard on dreams. But it's good to go back and think about where the dream came from. And we're going to do a little walk through our boyhood. You know, Daryl, is it this way for you? The one thing I like about getting older and I am, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm old now. And when I think back over my life and I think back to my boyhood years, I, I just realized that some of the dreams I dreamed back then actually kind of did come true, but it just sure was a long journey. And along the way, I didn't feel like it was coming true. Any of that apply to you as well you know uh it's really funny that you uh, were starting out this way because just this morning uh, i posted on facebook actually a repost of uh, my first day in the major leagues i'm standing on the third base line at attention with my hat over my heart as the playing of the national anthem rolls out on my first ever major league game and standing right next to me and it's just the two of us in the picture is, is Pete Rose. And um, one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And I, I caught that picture and I said, I got to repost this because this was a dream come true. Uh, my, my boyhood dream was to be a major league baseball player. And by golly, one day I was standing right there uh, on a major league baseball field and I'm standing right next to Pete Rose. Now, I got in the picture, if anybody looks at uh, on Facebook and checks it out, the picture is uh, I'm standing at attention uh, with my hat over my heart, and I'm looking right to the, the flag in, in, uh, by the scoreboard in Crosley Field in Cincinnati. And Pete's got his hat over his heart, and he's looking this way. <laughs> and I'm, and you got you to gotta love Pete, and you got to know him a little bit. He was, he was checking to see who was out there uh, a little bit. And uh, but when the when the when the song started to play, then uh, he straightened up and over there it was a really good clear picture of us. And um, as I look back on it, I'm thinking, my goodness sakes, you know, this is this is really something. Here I am, going to be 76 years old, and I can look back and and uh, relive my boyhood dream, you know. Well, let, let's go back to that boyhood dream. But just before we do a scripture verse, take delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. I have often read that verse and wanted it to be true. I think now that I'm older, I can look back and go, you know, it really has come true in my life. But there were times I didn't realize that. And so so we're gonna we're gonna talk about how the dream starts. I don't even remember where I came across this quote when I uh was writing the book, but uh, it's a quote by Lewis Timberlake, and I think this is a great quote as well. 
A winner is a person who becomes all that God intends for him to become. He's, he's, God, has given us all talents and abilities to use, not to abuse. He hasn't given you dreams to dream so that he can taunt you. He's placed those dreams in your heart. So, Daryl, what were the dreams in your heart as a kid? When you're a kid growing up in Hammond, Indiana, when you're 9 and 10 and 11 and you're, you're a little guy, what, what was your dreams like? How did you dream about being a baseball player? Well, you know, Dan, um, I think back in, in those days, growing up in the 50s, um, where we didn't have all the noise that goes on in the world today, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was baseball. It was throwing the ball up in the backyard all by myself and, and playing catch with myself. It was taking a stick and hitting a rock. And it was all those kinds of things that when you're, you know, six, seven years old, uh, you're trying to just stay busy and, and have fun and you're playing in the backyard and, uh, it, and then when uh, we got a television set, um, black and white, 17 or 19 inch Zenith, I think it was with the rabbit ears on it. Um, you know, I, 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 I was introduced uh, by chance, I guess, uh, watching TV one day and, and uh, you know, saw the Chicago Cubs uh, game on television. And that just reinforced my my. Uh, my backyard playing, you know, and look at these guys, they're doing this in front of 30,000 people. I was doing it in the backyard, <laughs> just me and Daryl. And I was my own play-by-play -play guy. I'm sure you might've had this thing too. A lot of kids growing up probably, all right, there's a fly ball to center field. Cheney goes back and I throw the ball up in the air and I make a catch last out of the world series, those kinds of things. And so uh, that's, that's where it all started with me. It was, and then, and then uh, my my dad and my mom too both uh, saw in in me and my brother the, our liking for sports. And again, back then with no noise, uh, sports was a big part of our lives. And 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 so mom and dad took that up, and they they saw us, they understood uh, we liked sports, and they wanted to you know get involved. I would say to people today, especially parents of young kids. If your kid's out there playing in the backyard by himself and he's hitting the rock with a stick and throwing a ball up in the air and all that stuff, you know, get with him and play catch with him and, 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 and coach him and, and join, the, you know, join the other parents that are helping their kids stay out of trouble and get involved in a rec league no matter what kind of sport it is. So we had all that going for us, I guess you could say, you know, going for us. Uh, back then, but that's that's where it all started for me. It was I, by myself in the backyard, thinking this is fun. And uh, and then when I got to start watching it on television, it was uh, it was like I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And I can remember, I'm probably seven when I told my dad, I I want to be a major league baseball player, Dad. And uh, he was, you know, like most parents would, my dad was a, a pipe fitter and working in an oil refinery and he, he worked long, hard hours. And, you know, we didn't have much. The house was only 900 square feet. So there wasn't a whole lot of room to turn around when you had five people living in there. But dad, but dad, uh, dad wanted to be my, uh, my, my partner in, 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 in baseball to start with. And he started playing catch with me. He started hitting me ground balls. And then when me and my brother went and signed up for Little League, he drove right down behind us as we rode our bikes down there. And he, had, he didn't know anything about baseball. He, he grew up in an orphanage. And, um, yeah, let and, me interrupt and, you there. Let, let's yeah. talk about your dad for a minute. So when, when you and I are making this podcast here uh, in 2024 – and all the problems in the world. Uh, we want to do what we can to make a difference. And I, I just say that, uh, that every dad out there probably ought to play catch with his kids. 
Now, I know baseball isn't the answer. There, Not every kid's going to be a baseball player. Not every kid has the same dream. But, boy, for you and for me, I remember playing catch with my dad. And I played catch with my boys. I, I think I'm 70. Uh, one's in his 40s. other's in his 30s. We got together today. We'd still play catch. We just like to play catch. I play catch with my grandsons. I, I think there's something to it. And if a dad can play catch with his boys, but there's something special about your dad. I don't want to gloss over this point. There's a lot of kids out there today that don't have a dad. And there's a lot of dads out there that didn't have a dad. And they don't know how to do this. There's something. I've got to salute your dad. Your dad was an orphan. You, you don't have a grandfather on that side that you know. And your dad grew up, he didn't just grow up an orphan. He didn't just grow up in foster homes. He grew up in an orphanage. And so here was a man who did not have an example in his life of play and catch, but somehow he figured it out that he needed to play catch with his son. So I would just say that as a challenge to every man today who goes, uh, you know, I don't know how to do this. My dad never did it. Well, that's no excuse because Carlos Cheney didn't have a dad to play catch with him either, but he played catch with his sons and, and he, he helped coach his son. Tell us a little bit more about your dad and the blue collar life that he lived and the dirty fingernails and the calluses on his hands. So dad, dad went uh, right out of that uh, orphanage situation and, and uh, uh, signed up for, for, uh, for duty in the United States Army, and because uh, uh, the war was going on, and um, I think uh, as he as he, uh, you know, I didn't talk to my dad much about what happened during the war with him. A lot of us in that generation, and a lot of the parents didn't want to talk about the war. I think I think what that did with my dad when he got back from the war, uh, he 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 wanted to settle down and live a good life and and raise a good family not having any experience doing that, but having the experience of putting his life on the line and, and, and fighting for our country. You know, whether it's, whether it's a dad playing catch with his son and liking baseball or not, you've got a bond that's, that starts right there. Um, a father and son bond that starts right there. And, uh, you know, I guess I was fortunate that when dad got back, uh, from the war, married my mother, and you know the greatest generation started having children, and they all wanted to just go to work, clock in, clock out, get home, and be with their family, and and they did it every day of the week for thirty five, you know, thirty years, and so dad, when when he got his job, he he got a he got a job at, at an oil refinery as a pipe fitter, uh, no experience. Um, but he was, he was, uh, you know, back from the war and, and, and oil refineries needed employees. And he, he learned his trade on the job and, um, and worked hard. I mean, you know, he could, he would come home from work and, uh, th those overalls, uh, would be soiled. He'd stink from the oil refinery smell and working with that grease and things like that. And uh, he would come home and he'd, he'd take those overalls off. He'd wash his face and hands. We'd sit down for dinner. And after we got done doing the dishes, didn't have dishwashers back then. So my brother and I and my sister had to divide all that up. But when we were done with that, if it was still light outside, boom, we were out the door doing something together. And for me, it was playing catch with dad and, and ground balls during the baseball season. He threw me footballs in the football season. He, uh, he uh, brought home some, some pipes from the oil refinery one day and uh, got a big old piece of plywood, cut it, and uh, put a backboard up in our alley, which was gravel. And uh, he, had, uh, he had a little bit of experience with electrical work, so he put a, a floodlight out so we could play basketball in the wintertime outside. And he shot, he would shoot baskets with me when it got dark. 
And uh, man, I can tell you too, I, 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 I took a lot of that for granted when I was that young. It was just like, no, dad's my dad. I've never had, done, didn't have another dad. And this is all we've known. And we, we hung out together and, and uh, played sports together. I looked forward to him coming home from work and slamming down dinner and getting outside where we could, we could play together. And then as, as time went by and dad was, you know, my dad was my little league coach from the first year I started. And then one year he managed and he didn't know anything about baseball, but he was, he was just want to be a part of our lives. And he, he was there in baseball all the way until I turned professional. And so, and then I can remember during the football season and basketball seasons, he was the first fan he opened up the gates at the football field. He opened up the, the doors at the basketball gym for the games and all that stuff. Um, and I think it was it was fun for him. I mean, you know, he didn't have fun when he was a kid. And he, go, he goes from being a kid off to war. Um, we're, we're watching my, right now, my wife and I, Cindy and I, are watching um, a uh, Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks production called the Pacific, and it's all about the, 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 uh, the, the war against the Japanese in the Pacific. It's really, really good. So my dad, although my dad wasn't in the Pacific, my father-in-law was, but my dad was over in North, uh, North Africa and um, in Italy, and he ended up being a, a, a military policeman. So he had that, he had that uh, regiment, uh, he had that discipline about him, and he carried it over sometimes to us <laughs> in uh, spankings and punishments and things like that. But he loved us to no end. And, and uh, so he goes from a kid without any experience of a, of a loving dad and playing sports, goes right into war and comes back from that war. And then he starts a family with no, with no, no, uh, no experience to fall back on. And, uh, you know, you got to admire, you got to admire men from that greatest generation that did, he wasn't the only one that did that. I mean, there was hundreds of thousands of dads that came back from that war that did that. And, um, I, I took it for granted a lot. I just thought, well, dad's coming home from work. We're going to play football today. We're going to play basketball and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, people that read our book, we, we really hope our book isn't just something people buy, but a book that makes a difference in people's lives. I, I hope there will be some dad who, who's been using the excuse, well, I didn't have a dad. And all at once he'll go, well, then let me be the dad I didn't have. And and he'll be like Carlos Chaney and and, and be a, a dad to a kid. Now, uh, we, we already made that point. Let, let's go on a little bit. You were an athlete. Uh, I'm going to read a couple paragraphs out of the book. As the years passed, Daryl added more sports with more games, more workouts, and more practices. Things just intensified. Babe Ruth baseball followed Little League, and after that, there was American Legion. Football season followed baseball, and basketball season came after football. And all of these experiences served to fan the flames for the big leagues for this kid from Hammond, Indiana. And all the while, Daryl's dad was there. In his youth, Carlos was a track star. He taught Daryl the crossover step and how to steal a base. He certainly didn't have to re, uh, teach Daryl how to hustle or work hard uh, as he let uh, nothing discourage him from lifting weights and doing push-ups, not even blisters that Daryl got from playing basketball, which made his feet raw. He simply taped them up and kept playing. Hammond, Indiana, in the turbulent 60s, and his father's nonverbal style didn't seem like the ideal chemistry to fan a big league dream. Carlos would rarely compliment Daryl directly, but his presence communicated enough for Daryl, who paid careful attention to every expression of approval. During Daryl's senior year, he quarterbacked Hammond High School to win the state Quad A football championship. His dad still set curfew at 11.30, which Daryl broke by an hour because of celebrating with his buddies. This earned an immediate grounding for the state champion quarterback. Uh, doesn't seem fair. Anyway, I digress. The next morning, his hunger for, Dar 
for his dad's approval was satisfied when he overheard his dad with unmistakable pride in his voice recount to his mom, Daryl was really good last night. Daryl, you were an athlete, and so you dreamed of being a baseball player. Tell us just a little bit more. Go ahead. You can brag for a minute because I'm asking the questions. Uh, what was it like when you were in high school? You were a three-sport athlete, and you were a state championship football team, and you were the quarterback. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, and, and it was um... – it was a, a you know a, a great experience. I didn't start playing football until I was in eighth grade, and uh, it just seemed like I couldn't fit everything in. You know, <laughs> playing basketball and baseball, we have time for football. When I started watching our eighth grade football team play, and I'm thinking, well, golly, I I can do that. And so, uh, my eighth grade year, I went out uh, for the uh, football team, and uh, you know I could throw it pretty good. I could run. And, uh, you know, God gave me some ability. There's no doubt about that. And um, so I kind of I kind of started liking liking football because I was good at it, too. About the we had, an I think, nine game schedule or eight game schedule in eighth grade. And I I uh, I, I tore my hamstring at the uh, end of the season. So I missed the last game or two of my eighth grade. Um, but then I went on to high school and uh, uh, of course, I. I tried out for every sport and, and I ran track a little bit too. One year I, I ran, I ran track and played baseball. My freshman year in high school, I did the 440. But when um, I started playing high school football, there was a, a kid uh, named Kenny Bulkin, really became a really good friend of mine. His mom and dad owned uh, the local funeral home. Uh, and that's both my parents were buried out of that funeral home. And uh, Kenny and I uh, were rivals right off the bat. He was a quarterback, left-handed, and he had all these accolades from his public school days. I'm coming over from the Catholic grade school, and we started competing against one another. And right away, I took his job. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and Kenny kind of had a problem with that for a while. Uh, and we played, we played baseball, basketball, and football together in high school. And uh, after about a year of Kenny uh, getting used to Daryl being around, <laughs> he fell into, uh, I want to be a good teammate for Daryl and those kinds of things. And we, we were really good friends until the day he died. I mean, really good friends. So uh, th those, those days, uh, as I got to playing football, uh, Dan, it's like, it's like you, you can get the feeling whether you think you can play well or not. And I was pretty confident that I could I could play, and I started getting some accolades from the varsity football coach when I was a freshman, and he, and he kept telling me you know, keep working at it and all this kind of stuff and and uh, you can you can play three sports in in high school. And he, my high school football coach, his name was Maurice Lotnick. He even um, under the table. Gave me two hundred and sixty dollars in cash one day to uh, to go buy a set of dumbbells and a bench, and I put it in my garage and I did my own workouts because we didn't have gymnasiums and workout facilities, things like that back then. And then I was wearing glasses as I turned uh, fifteen, and uh, he didn't want me to wear glasses playing football because we had glasses on. You got the one bar over your face mask. There's no cages back then. And so another day he comes and gives me some more cash to go buy a set of contact lenses. And I've worn my contact lenses ever since. Uh, so I don't, I, you know, it, my, my, my thing about uh, uh, parents and their kids, uh, you know, dads today come home and they've got all this noise. They got, oh, I got to fill out my sales report and I got to report to this guy. And all of a sudden they're still on their computer at nine or 10 o'clock at night. And their kid is on his computer at nine or 10 o'clock at night and probably has been on it ever since they got up from dinner. So we didn't have that stuff going back then. I would encourage dads today or mothers, uh, single moms that are getting involved with their kids in sports uh, to to, to get away from that for, uh, you know, when the school days is over and just get involved in the sports with their kids might not turn into professional athletes, 
but it will still have an impact on their lives uh, to uh, to do something other than um, be on the be on the internet all the time. You know. Uh, that that would make a good difference. And from what I saw on the news just last week, where all of the social media big shots were uh, grilled by the the Senate, and the, even uh, Mark Zuckerberg stood up and apologized to parents where kids have committed suicide. Maybe there'd be fewer suicides if dads played catch with their kids more. Wouldn't that be something? No, I'm not trying to blame dads. I'm just trying to bring a solution of saying, dads, engage with your kids. If you got a kid that's got any kind of a sports inclination, feel free uh, to go for it. You know, make sure you have time spending playing catch with your kids. Hey, I want to just uh, get less uh, less philosophical and spiritual here for a minute. Just go back to sports, uh, since I do enjoy sports. You were the parade high school All-American quarterback. You started getting recruited by a lot of schools, including Notre Dame. And I love the story in the book about when Era Parsegian called you to invite you to Notre Dame to look the college over, and you did not make the smartest decision of your life at that time. Do you remember what you told him? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I sure do. You know, I, 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 I started getting recruited during our senior year. We were a really, really good football team my junior year. We pretty bad my sophomore year, but I, I was playing quarterback every game. In my junior year, we were loaded, and we were we were uh, favored to win our state title that year. But we had uh, eight guys on our high school football team that decided to go one Friday night or Saturday night to the drive-in uh, and drink some beer. And my brother's a year older than me, and he's in that age group, but he didn't go. He didn't go this night, and all these kids got these guys got caught. Uh, drinking beer at the drive-in, and they were all kicked off our football team. And so, and they were mostly linemen. And so my junior year, Dan, I spent most of my time on my back. I mean, we couldn't <laughs> have anybody to block. And all these guys were going to be all states and everything. I mean, they really, they really threw it away. So when the senior year came around, uh, all those guys that got to play the junior year because those seniors got – uh, got caught drinking, um, had, had really, really gotten good. And so we just started taking off. And I, I, I didn't know that I was even being uh, considered that much uh, as, a, as a football player for, for college during the middle of the season. Towards the end of the season, um, uh, we were undefeated. We had only, I think we only gave up like 13 points. We scored like 300 points. I had intercepted a lot of passes. Uh, you know, we had a good offense. I was a quarterback and they used to t tell me that I was, a, I was a magician with the ball. I could fake it pretty good, stick it in the guy's stomach, pull it out, bootleg it. And everybody's going one way and I'm going the other way all by myself and uh, scoring touchdowns. And, and uh, after the season ended, Parade Magazine came out with this. You know, the, the, the Parade Magazine is still the insert a lot of newspapers on Sundays, and uh, all of us. I couldn't believe it, but I was I was a first team All American quarterback. The second team guy was a guy named Mike Phipps, who was from Columbus, Indiana. And Mike played for the Browns. He went to Purdue. Uh, we were recruited at the same time everywhere, but we, every time we get together, Mike Phipps and I would say to each other. Well, where are you going to school? Because we didn't want to go to the same school. <laughs> we wanted to eliminate some of our competition. And so uh, now I started getting all these letters. Um, I got, oh, I don't know, 35 or 40 letters of invitation to come and visit, uh, you know, fill out this form, what's your grades, those kinds of things. And, of course, um, Hammond, Indiana, where I grew up, was only 60 miles from South Bend, and being Catholic, that's like, well, if you're Catholic from that area, you got to go to Notre Dame. You, you can't go anywhere else. And so uh, well, I got I got an invitation, uh, you know, an interest from Notre Dame. So I sent it back in and said, yeah. And 
But in the meantime, I'm getting invited to go visit all kinds of schools, all the Big Ten schools. Uh, I went. Uh, I got. In, I, I had a scholarship to uh, Air Force Academy, University of Washington out west. Um, so I get this. I get this call one day from Eric Parsegian, and I was so excited. <laughs> and I got my mom and dad listening on the phone, and then they're sitting in the back. And I said, "Eric Parsegian, it's Eric Parsegian." And he says, "Young man." He says, uh, we have an awful lot of interest in, in uh, you becoming a, one of the fighting Irish. Understand that uh, uh, you don't live too far away. So I want you to come for an official visit. And um, here's the date. And he gave me the date and everything. And so I'm already, I've already got weekends booked with other schools. And he gave, the date he gave me was the same weekend my mom and dad and I were going up to Michigan State because uh, they were recruiting me as well. And Duffy Doherty was the head coach of Michigan State, well-known back then. And uh, we were all set, ready to go. And so I said to Coach Parsegian, I said, I'm sorry, Coach, but I'm already booked that weekend. And he said, where are you, where are you booked? And I said, I'm going to uh, Michigan State. Coach uh, Doherty wants me to come for my official visit. And Coach Parsegian said, well, Young man, he said, uh, when another when another weekends open up, I'll give you a call back. <laughs> and that was the last I heard of Eric Parsegian. And it's like, you know, when Notre Dame calls and it's Eric Parsegian and and you know, no matter what you're doing, you change and you go to Notre Dame. Well, I didn't I didn't think that through very much. And uh, so that was it. Um, but I got to say that I got recruited by Notre Dame. <laughs> but that phone call uh, I was. Uh, I thought he would say, "Well, let's figure out another weekend," and but he didn't. <laughs> it's not call you later. He never called me back. Well, Daryl, <laughs> uh, maybe I shouldn't disagree with you on a podcast, you know. But I guess it shows it's genuinely live. I remember that story a little differently. I thought you were going to Ball State, not Michigan State, that weekend, because that was one place where you were going to be two two sports: baseball and football. So I thought you turned Aeroparsegian down for Ball State, which would have been maybe even a bigger mistake. Yeah. Well, you know, they all ended up uh, being mistakes to a certain extent. But it was, this was a God thing. God wanted me to play baseball. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, during, you know, and I was being recruited by all these, you know, big time Division I schools and then little old Ball State. The head football coach there named Ray Louthen calls me up. wasn't too long after uh, Era Parsegian hung the phone up on me. <laughs> but uh, Ray Louthen, who was the head football coach at Ball State, calls up and he says, uh, um, I'd like you to come for an official visit. We're a, we're a Division II school right now, and uh, um, but we're growing. And uh, he said, uh, I got something interesting. I want you to bring your mom and dad. And I, I want you to want you to come. So Muncie wasn't too far of a drive. And the, the time that he wanted me to come, I could go. So uh, we drove there. And he said, I understand that uh, you want to play baseball, too. And I said, yeah. I said, one of the problems I got with all the Big Ten schools, um, Michigan State, uh, Michigan, Notre Dame, and not Notre Dame, not Big Ten, Indiana, Purdue, they wouldn't let me play baseball in the spring. Um, being a quarterback, it was mandated that the quarterbacks had to go through uh, the spring football program back then. Well, then you couldn't play baseball for three weeks. So uh, Coach Lawson takes me to the football field, which is right next to the baseball field there at Ball State. My mom and dad are with me, and he says, I want you to know if you come here next year, you're going to be my starting quarterback, and you're going to be our starting shortstop. I said, well, that's great. I said, how can, how can you tell me that I'm going to be your starting shortstop? He says, well, I'm also the baseball coach. <laughs> so uh, I thought, well, that was great. And uh, so I, I signed the go there because I could play baseball. And uh, Ray Laufen ended up, after he, his coaching career, he became the athletic director there at Ball State. But two weeks after I signed my tender to go to – and I took a lot of criticism, uh, Dan, in the, in the hometown paper – for committing to go to a small school, a lot of people thought that I was afraid to go to the big boys. And, uh, but, uh, 
I took a lot of heat and I got, I still have those articles saved in my scrapbooks, which are put away somewhere. But, but I signed the go there two weeks later, it was the, uh, the baseball amateur draft. And I didn't know how, how I was being looked at in that regard either on a high level. But, uh, you know, two weeks later I was picked number two by the Reds. I was a 42nd pick in the country. Back then we didn't have as many big league teams. So I was number two pick by the, by the Reds, and um, and and that, and that 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 was it. I mean, I'm thinking now that I got this chance, I called I called Coach Louthen up and said, "I'm sorry, but I'm going to sign with the Cincinnati Reds." And I wrote all the other Big Ten schools a, a thank you letter that uh, I'm going to go with a give baseball a shot. So, yeah. Yeah, because when all of this is taking place, uh, Tony Rebello comes and knocks on your door from the Cincinnati Reds, and he comes in and he talks and he makes you an offer, and he says, uh, "For eight thousand dollars, we'll give you an advance, and we'd like you to sign up and come and play for the Cincinnati Reds." That was quite an event uh, in your living room with you and your dad, mom, and. Uh, a recruiter from the Cincinnati Reds. What'd that feel like? Well, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting. You know, we, our house wasn't that big and my sister was still uh, at home. Then my brother had gone off to college, but so they were all in the living room <clears throat> and Tony comes walking in and he brought with him the, the, the actual, the scout that had scouted me most of the games. Uh, Dale McReynolds was his name. Um, and Dale came to my wedding but Dale, Dale was in the, uh, with Tony. Tony was what they called back then a cross-checker. When a scout like Dale McReynolds had, uh, had thought enough of you, they would always have another scout come and cross-check the first scout's you know, you know, uh, opinion. And Tony uh, must have liked me too. So they're both there. But Tony's, Tony's the guy carrying the cash, and he's the guy with, uh, uh, he's the guy with all the – uh, clout and my one of my baseball coaches our pitching coach for a high school team named Greg Jancic Greg pit, uh, pitched uh, three years in the minor leagues for the Cincinnati Reds and he was doing what they called bird dog scouting so our coach Greg Jancic actually uh, and our head coach George, Jack Georges told the Cincinnati Reds and a lot of other teams uh, about you ought to send a scout over here to check this guy out so Tony's sitting in my living room and he puts this contract on on the table, and uh, and my dad said, "Well, wait a minute. Uh, I don't know if that's enough money for my son, and you're picking him number two. Back then, it wasn't any more than anybody else was getting, but we didn't know any difference. And of course, my dad, <laughs> my dad was my agent, the pipe fitter. My dad, the pipe fitter, was my agent. So he goes in the back room and he picks up these scrapbooks that my mom had been keeping of me." all those years and uh he brings a scrapbook out and he sits in between me and tony Rebello, and he starts paging through the scrapbooks he goes through basketball seasons and look at my son doing this and then he gets to football and he says now you know he's an all-american quarterback parade magazine number one tony says he's a real nice guy he said yeah that's pretty good and he says yeah and he goes through all these articles uh about my football career and he says, uh, so, you know, if you don't give him any more money, uh, Tony, I said, uh, he said, he's going to go, he's going to go play college football. And uh, Tony Rebello was so nice. He said, uh, well, Mr. Cheney and Mrs. Cheney, you must be so proud of this young man and his uh, amateur career. But if he doesn't sign this contract right now, he's going to pass up the opportunity to play baseball in the big leagues with the Cincinnati Reds. So a hush falls over the crowd in the, in the living room and uh, dad says, come here. So me and my dad get up and we walk into the kitchen, which is about five steps away. <laughs> and he says, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do, Daryl? And at this time I hadn't told all the football schools that I wasn't playing football yet because I hadn't signed. And I said, geez, dad, I said, uh, you know, you look back when I was six and seven years old, this is it. You know, I, you know, <laughs> I want to play baseball. I want to play baseball and, and, uh, I don't care. I don't care what they're paying me. I want to, I want to play baseball. My, my baseball coach, Greg Jantish, the, the bird dog, he got $10,000 for, 
for me signing that contract. I only got eight. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, we went back in there and uh, said, we got a deal. I signed the contract. Uh, and then the next morning at seven o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning, Dale McReynolds, uh, the scout, he picks me up and takes me to Chicago, throws me on a 727, never been on an airplane in my life. 18 years old, flying out to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to play baseball. So your dream came true. You were a little kid that dreamed of being a baseball player. You played catch with your dad. You played ball in high school. And now you're a senior in high school or just graduated, 18 years old, and you are signed to play Major League Baseball. Now, we're talking about dreams, and there's a lot of lessons in this, but you know, the, the one main lesson is have a dream, have a dream. Uh, the, the other main lesson is have people in your life that fan the flame of that dream, you know, and because there will be people who will oppose it and to recognize that, that the dream isn't always a, uh, a direct to the top dream. You, this part of your dream was fulfilled pretty quickly, but the way I write the book, in case people are just listening to the podcast and don't read the book, instead of just writing a chapter, I write every chapter like an inning with the top half and a bottom half. And in the top half of the inning is your story, and it's what we just talked about. But in the bottom half of the inning is, uh, in some ways, it's my story, but it's not so much my story. I'm just trying to apply the lessons of your story to an ordinary life, not to the life of a big league ball player. And uh, I'll be a little bit more succinct and brief with my, with the bottom half of the inning. Well, let me comment before you do that, because I was, that was kind of a great segue because my next question was going to be, are we ever going to talk about the bottom half of the innings where you write about uh, and relate everything to uh, what I did? And I thought you articulated, uh, and one of the reasons why the book has done so well uh, you articulated uh, the bottom of the innings uh, very, very well. And uh, that's where I got a lot of compliments was, geez, I've never seen a book written like this where, you know, uh, you got these two stories going on and uh, they really relate to one another. So, yeah, tell us your stories, man. Well, I also dreamed of being a big league ball player, but I retired at age 12. <laughs> <laughs> right out of Williamsport, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, right? Williamsport, home of Pennsylvania. The home of Little League Baseball and the Little League World Series. Yes, that was my hometown. And I was not good enough to even make the all-star team in my league, let alone be drafted. So uh, I retired at that age uh, deeply disappointed. And actually, it was a big disappointment for me, a little kid. Uh and I had, a, I had a few disappointments as, as I grew up. But the, the thing I have to recognize, there was a dream that was inside of my heart. And sometimes it may have just seemed like a childhood fantasy, you know, that, that I want to do something big, that I want to do something special, that I want to be somebody. And I just thought as a little kid, you know, in order to be somebody, you got to be a big league ball player. Well, you know, like I say, I realized very early that wasn't going to happen. Uh, another thing that I just loved, it was one of the favorite things I loved to do as a kid growing up was I loved the outdoors. I loved hunting with my dad and my grandfather. It was one of the favorite things I ever did. And hunting growing up in central Pennsylvania was like a rite of passage to manhood. Uh, which also faced another significant disappointment uh, on the first day of buck season in Pennsylvania one year. I don't remember exactly how old I was. I'll say 14, 15, might have been 16. I don't remember. At 10 minutes after 7 on the first day of deer season, I missed a buck. I shot at one, sneaked up. He sneaked up behind, beside me on the wrong side of me and I'm left-handed and I held the gun wrong and I missed him. And you know, that always bugged me. <laughs> All these years later, it still bugs me. I go, Lord, why did you not let me, you know, get that one thing that I dreamed of 
so much, you know. I just, uh, it just, just really bugged me. Uh, and you know, some, some of the, the desires I had as a kid, I, I would say it, it's almost like it, it created a hunger or a thirst in me for something that was not fulfilled. So. I read this scripture verse, and this scripture verse is my life verse. And if I'm ever at a place where you and I are giving speeches on the book and I sign a book, I always sign it with my name and then put this verse, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this. Well, I didn't have any confidence except in this, except in God's work. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I also have a quote in the book uh, at the bottom of the first inning uh, under that scripture verse. This is a quote by Steve Jobs, another motivational quote uh, like that one by Timberlake at the top of the first inning. This is what Steve Jobs said. Your time is limited. So don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of another person's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. Now, I don't know that much about Steve Jobs personally, but I think that quote actually in many ways goes along with that scripture verse. And, and it, it ties in together to show that, that the Lord, uh, when we think of the, the Psalm 37 verse and we think of the Philippians 1, 6 verse, he plants a desire in us. And we're not satisfied until that desire is met. And God is working in all the circumstances of our life. And I, I looked at even some of these disappointments in my life that were disappointed as a boy. I never became a big league ball player. But hey, look at this. I'm writing about a big league ball player. I'm, I'm hanging out with you. I go to some of your golf tournaments. I hang out with big league ball players. I have a lot of fun with baseball, big league baseball, without ever being a big league ball player. Lo and behold, in a in a uh, in a curveball way, God fulfilled that dream. I, I never got that book, but you know, God took Susan and me to Colorado for 21 years. I climbed summited 17. 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado, summited mountains, I think about 25 times, have hiked sections of the Colorado Trail, the Appalachian Trail when we lived back east. Lo and behold, my desire and my love for the outdoors, it, it all came together. God was fulfilling those dreams in me. And and even now, as, as I'm an author of a book, I, I realize God is using me and my desire to relate to people and do something meaningful in a way that I feel very fulfilled. And I'm, I'm very thankful. And I'm just sad for people who give up on their dreams. I'm sad for people who maybe think that their childhood dream was just a fantasy. And so they've just let it die. And I want to encourage them to go back and, and read a Bible story about Joseph. Uh, a boy who had a dream, and uh, he he didn't know how to apply that dream at first, so it got him sold by his brothers. Uh, this story is back in Genesis into slavery, and then he lived in slavery, but over a period of over 13 years of refinement of his character, uh, God did use him and fulfill that dream. So, Daryl, uh, I just did a whole lot of talking, but uh, it's fun to share dreams because I think God's in the the business of fulfilling dreams and using those dreams to help us achieve who he wants us to be. Final words. There's, 
there, well, there, there's, there's so many encour- encouraging things in the book um, that, that relate to, to, uh, uh, to all these things that, we're, that we've discussed here today, whether it be deer hunting, uh, baseball, uh, pastoring. Um, and, and, and one of the themes of the book that I enjoy the most is, 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 the, is, the, is there's so much encouragement for the reader. Uh, my suggestion for those who are listening to the podcast would would be if you get this book, and I highly recommend that you do, ask the Holy Spirit to just indwell in you as you read this book and have the Holy Spirit just shout out the encouraging things that are in this book to, to, to the reader. I think, I think uh, as, as I reflect on it, I, and I remember when we were, Dan, when we were uh, uh, collaborating on the book, and I came out there to Denver a, a couple of times and we were talking, the more I talked to you about this and the more I reflected on it, the more encouraged I got, not because the book was coming to fruition, because, because I knew that it was going to be an encouragement to other people. And if we're gonna if we're gonna be out there uh, uh, and, and doing apostolic action, doing the Lord's work, um, that's what we, that's what we were doing during that collaboration and and, and doing this book. And I, I I come to realize that more and more uh, as we as you went along in, in the writing of the book, and it's not just uh, the first chapter; it's through it's throughout the whole book. It, it is a book of encouragement, and um, it, it it encourages me to this day. And it does me too, and I'm excited that we're still excited about it. And yeah. I hope our excitement's contagious. I hope other people get involved in it too. So we're going to wrap up today with a few questions. And just in case somebody's listening and they're wondering, well, what can I do? Uh, first of all, just start by thinking, well, what has come to you in, in your life? Number one, what dreams can you remember from your childhood? I just ask anybody listening to, to think about that. Maybe, maybe we're, someone is listening is in a place in their life of real discouragement, uh, and, and they forgot they ever even had dreams. Uh, just pause for a little bit and think, what, what did I actually want to be when I was younger? And then think about this. Who in your life fueled your dreams? And who fought your dreams? If you had nobody who fueled your dreams and you only had people that fought your dreams, that's an important thing for you to recognize. And then you have to ask yourself, how did you handle that? And how did you handle your dreams? So now you have the opportunity to say, okay, I I know this now. So now I'm in charge. I don't have to wait for somebody else to get it right. I will pray for God to reveal his dream for my life to me. I will identify that dream and I will pray that God will send someone into my life to fan the flame of that dream. And I just hope as people listen to us or as men's ministries use this, people will say, well, I can do that. I can fan the dream in somebody else's life. Uh, I, I maybe can't do a lot of things, but I can do that and I'll do it. And next the next inning when we talk about heroes and I can't wait for you to tell your Ernie Banks story because that is the best Ernie Banks story there is. And when you tell that story and everybody realizes that they can help fan somebody's dream, uh, that'll be awesome. Daryl, I think our time's up for today. It's been great talking to you for this hour. And I hope a lot of people listen to this and are encouraged by it and that dreams come alive and dreams are fulfilled. Amen, brother. Amen. Just in case you missed it, when Daryl and I were talking, there were a couple of really important quotes and scripture verses. I love the scripture verse, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you're kind of doubting that, I hope this podcast uh, rekindled the flame that that can be true. And in case you missed writing it down, uh, here's that quote by Lewis Timberlake. A winner 
is a person who becomes all that God intended for him to become. He's given, or God has given us talents and abilities to use, not to abuse. And he has given you dreams, dreams to dream, not to taunt you. And he's placed those dreams in your heart. I sure hope you will find the fulfillment of them. And then the other scripture verse and quote that, uh, that, that meant uh, a whole lot to me. And it's a verse that uh, is on another podcast that uh, we've just recently used. And it's my life verse, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Sometimes I wonder about that. Well, I don't really. Sometimes I'm tempted to doubt that. And I need to come back and be reminded of that. And then here is a, a secular man with a quote that goes along with that purpose, though. It's uh, Steve Jobs. And he says, your time is limited. So don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the voice of other opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. I, of course, make the connection that that inner voice is not just my inner voice, but it's that dream that God has placed in it. When I have questions, I cross-reference that with scripture. And in prayer, I ask God, what do you want me to dream? What do you want me to become? So I hope you got a lot out of today's podcast. I sure did enjoy talking with Daryl. Uh, and I thank him for uh, making himself available to me to write his story and to share it with you. I also want to thank a few other people before we sign off today. Zach Harder wrote and performed the opening music. And Jim Hedinger wrote a composition that we use at the end of every podcast, In the Midst of the Storm. It's our closing song. Jim's music is very calming and gives you time to think and process what you've just heard. And just be still for a couple minutes and uh, and rest. Thanks to Andrew Hedinger for editing and publishing this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. Please help us grow by subscribing and sharing this podcast, uh, rating it, give us a high rating, uh, tell family members, friends, and colleagues about it. Uh, we really want this to grow. We want the conversation about care ministry to increase. We want people to thrive and get excited about caring for other people. And we want people to do it so that people feel God's love and so that people feel cared for uh, by others and most of all by God. Visit our website, bestcareministry.com. There's so much more information there in real life, care stories, resources, uh, and organizations that provide specialized care. While you're there, keep in mind that Best Care Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Please consider making a donation so that we can reach more people, offer more resources, and help people feel God's love. Thanks for listening today. And now take two minutes to be still, to be thoughtful, to be quiet, and just think about what you've heard. And as you listen to this music, see what you hear.